everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 123 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we're going to be talking about learning and improving and how if you really want to learn something new or improve, you have to start doing things differently. And to actually learn, you have to open yourself up to the possibility of something completely new, meaning you also have to forget what you already know. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So it's a new year, and a lot of people are making resolutions because they want to learn something new or do something different or improve their lives in some way. Go to the gym for a week when it's super, super crowded. (laughs) Yes, some people do that, and then they fall off, right? But I feel like most of us start off the year with very good intentions about like improving our lives in some way. That's why the gym is super, super crowded in the first week of every single year. Right. And then it does tend to fall off, unfortunately, because it's one of those things that people have good intentions, but then they never actually change their behaviors and their habits. So then they naturally fall back into these old behavior patterns and old habits and then just end up repeating the same thing that's been going on for years. Right. Because motivation and, and a new idea will get you going for a little while. Yeah. Like you can be really hopped up. You can watch like an inspiring video and be like, yes, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to crush it in this workout for the next three days. (laughs) And oh boy, my legs hurt. And then you're going to need maybe a recovery day or two or three and oh shoot, now it's February and I probably don't need to renew my gym membership anymore. Right. And that's one of the things I think about motivation that's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not fleeting, but it's just like... It, yeah, but fleeting's kind of the word you're going for Fleeting there. Is, is one of the words, but it's also kind of like one of those like empty promises, I want to say. Like, what's a good word for that? Like, it's like a, you know, someone that's coming in to like look all hot and sexy right at the beginning, and then it's like everything just kind of fades away because it's just a bunch of empty promises. Right. It, it puts on a good show at the front. Yeah. I mean, we have this one, I think we have a podcast episode way back on like the danger of the inspiring pep talk. Mm-hmm. Like... You can only go to that inspiration so many times before you're just like, I don't care about your inspiring pep talk anymore. That's right. not doing anything for me. Well, like, and that's why motivation isn't the key. Like everybody thinks that they need motivation and that's really not what you need. What you need is behavior change and habit adjustment. Like you need to change your habits if you truly want to change your life. And sometimes that takes a little bit of motivation to get started, but motivation won't just change your habits. You have to actually right. do the work on that end of it. Exactly. And so today we're going to talk about What happens when you do want to change something? Like if you truly want to change and if you truly want to learn something new, how that also means that in some ways you also have to forget what you already know. Right, because the brain doesn't want to change. Like if you're like, oh, no, no, this is going to be new year, new me. And the brain's like, hmm. No, no, because the brain, the brain like protects us, number one, and it tries to like make everything in our lives as efficient as possible. So we create these habits. Okay. Habits are basically ways that we do things in our lives without having to think about them because the brain actually is the organ in the body that uses the most energy. So basically to conserve energy and to keep us alive and surviving, the brain tries to automate as much as possible. So we think as little as humanly possible? Right, exactly. humanly possible? As humanly possible. We try, like our brain just automates tasks and creates habits so that there's so many things in our day that you don't have to think about. Like you don't have to think about brushing your teeth, for example, right? Like you go in, you brush your teeth. But 
like so your your brain has basically created this pattern this this movement pattern this behavior pattern you go in like you wake up in the morning you have a cue that you walk in you wash your face you brush your teeth you probably do the same thing almost every day like maybe now and then it kind of changes a little bit but essentially you probably have the same morning routine every single day pretty much okay now a good example of this and i heard this from another podcast is try to brush your teeth with your opposite hand oh yeah right like your dot you know whatever hand that you normally brush your teeth with that's your dominant hand most likely and you just have this pattern like you probably like I have an electric toothbrush and I always go the same direction I've actually been trying to mix it up just to kind of like go crazy on myself you know (laughs) you're making brushing your teeth a like mentally stressful activity well because I had this like one stain that I wanted to get out so I wanted to make sure that the toothpaste was like hitting that one first and not that was my fourth quadrant, so I had to make it my first. <laughs> make sure the toothpaste hits it first. Is that that's how that works, that's doctor? How, that's how it works. So anyway, but it's funny though because then you have to like think about it more. So same thing, like if you were to switch hands, like you would have to actually think about what you were doing. I can't do anything with my left hand. <laughs> it's, it's really just a worthless appendage for me. <laughs> a worthless appendage. Well, at least it keeps you balanced when you're running. It's pretty much all it's got. All right, so let's let's backtrack a little bit here and let's talk about like school and learning in general because that's how you have our outline started out here. All right, well, school. I as I've, a teacher, I've been in it a lot, and then I uh, I've I've been in the desk, and then I've been on the other side. I actually have a giant desk in front of my classroom because it's a science room. So I've been on that side of the class from also school is a very um, foundational pattern you know you you build in some very basic things and then you make them a little bit more complicated so like when you're really little you learn like the alphabet and then you learn how to write the letters and then you learn how to spell words and then you can write sentences and you learn bigger vocabulary and eventually you're creating stories and essays every new step that you have takes the previous knowledge and says, and now you can do this with it. And now you can do this with it. And it just keeps building. And Mm -hmm. so most people essentially think that all learning should take place by just taking what you have and going one step further. Right. So it's a built in a linear fashion. Yeah. Everything's perfectly linear, which... Which works out well for us as runners. <laughs> yes. Because we like to move in a linear fashion. <laughs> yeah, turning. Someone someone put that on Facebook. They're like, I didn't realize how hard it was to turn tight corners when you're at full stride. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And you were talking about like that one race. You're like, it is not cool that they have like a hairpin turn around a cone at the end of that race. It, no, no, it's not. There's, there's a <laughs> race we do in cross country that like less than 100 meters from the finish line the kids had to make a u-turn oh that was terrible it was brutal that was terrible that course was awful <laughs> well, but anyway um we digress yes so you know school comes in this manner sports are taught in this one also mm-hmm. you learn very basic movements right then you learn the fundamental rules and then as you start playing the game there's some fine tuning some adjustments some like higher level things that you learn but it all comes from the same basic movement patterns and every coach like totally um you know touts that also like encourages that you must learn like, the fundamentals you have to learn the fundamentals and the basics so, we're, like, we're back going to basics. yes we're going back to the fundamentals right, exactly. you hear that all the time right but that's not how life works right because um on on things outside of say like how to write and how to throw a football big big 
things that are going to actually move the needle in your life are going to require you to completely change your perspective on it. And to do things a lot differently too. Because like To brush your teeth with your left hand. All right, exactly. Because if you want to keep moving along the same path, then continue. Go ahead. Go go down that way. But if you are kind of at a point in your life where you feel like I might make, I need to make a change or I want to improve. Like if you keep doing the same things the same way, you're not going to get anywhere. Like you might for a little while. And we've talked about that in the past with training plans and stuff like that. If you repeat the same workouts and the same training plans, um, a few times over, like you might still make improvements, but eventually incrementally better. Right. But eventually that's probably going to plateau. And then for you to improve, you're going to have to change things up and do something different. So one of the other things that I like to point out too about learning and this is one of those things between knowledge and wisdom and um, book learning and actual wisdom it's like the more you know the more you know you don't know yes right yes like when you learn something new and when you keep learning stuff like it like opens up your mind to these new possibilities and you're like oh darn I never thought about that and then that's like a whole nother you know hole that you could go down rabbit hole to go down yeah so when i first got into this is a big thing on coaching or teaching whatever the the thing is to somebody else when you first start learning it you're like okay i've I've mastered that understanding of it. And then it gets a little bit more complicated. Like, perfect, I've got this understanding. And you get to this point where you are thoroughly confident that you've got it. Mm -hmm. And finally, you learn just a little bit more and you're like, oh, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Like, you you learn just enough to realize that you're looking at this tiny little area and there's a mountain of information in front of you. And you're like, oh, I've walked like four steps up the mountain. Mm -hmm. I know nothing. And then you can actually start learning something. Then you can actually start doing something with it because there's so much left out there. You're so busy focused on what to do on the next step that you don't even realize that it's like a thousand more steps before you're getting anywhere. Right. And I really believe that true wisdom and true wise men and women from the past realize this. They, they realize how much they don't know. And a lot of times the smartest, most intelligent, wisest people there are realize this and they say like, I don't know everything, you know? And then there's the, you know, more of like the people that are more foolish that are like, I know everything, you know, la la la, check me out. Like (laughs) I know it all, you know, like those are usually the people that don't know as much. Yes. The people that tend to stay a little bit quiet, realize that I, I think there's a proverb on that one. I don't think I have it actually from the Bible, but it's something to the effect of like, stay quiet and be thought a fool or open your mouth and prove it. Ooh. Which is... Kind of an interesting statement on that one. That is an interesting statement. So, you know, we do learn these things and the way that we are taught in school and the way that our education system is, we do tend to learn things in a linear fashion. And then once we get into those higher levels of education, then that's when we start kind of opening up all these doors and possibilities. Like when we get into philosophy and theology, like, you know, we had to take philosophy and theology at Notre Dame. That's required um, as part of everyone's course load regardless of major two classes of each two classes of each right and you start reading these books and you're like oh my gosh it's totally twisting my mind in like directions that i never expected it to go right and for the first week of philosophy where you get like the one great philosopher's perspective you're like this is awesome this is life-changing i've got this this is Mm -hmm. amazing and then you get the next great philosopher's like his take on it and you're just like oh 
wait, this is also really good mm-hmm. and different. I'm so confused right now. Right. And it's like, and, what do you believe? Right. And by the end of the semester, your head's just going to explode. Yeah. It does feel like, I mean, there was multiple times or there were multiple times where I felt like my head was physically hurting because I was trying to wrap my brain around some of the things that I was reading. Yeah. I think I dealt with those situations different than you did in college. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, some of these lessons, especially the major ones, like they don't always enhance your previous knowledge. They don't always build on the stuff that you already know. They can take you in a totally different direction and one that you've never seen, heard, or experienced before. Right, but we want them to just build on the previous lesson because it would be so much easier. (laughs) So we we get this new thing and we're like, all right, I want to make that fit to what I know because everything that I've ever learned before Mm -hmm. was just something that I could hook on to my previous knowledge. So... This thing seems weird, but it might change me. It might help me. So why don't I try and manipulate it and turn it and twist it until it fits with my previous knowledge. Mm-hmm. And by the time we've we've twisted it and turned it and bent it and shoved it into place to make it fit, it's no longer the useful piece of information. Right. We've manipulated it so much that it just conformed to our previous thoughts. Right. Or we just completely disregard it, right? So there's these new pieces that we're constantly getting and we take these new pieces, whatever it might be in your life, whatever you're learning whatever you're listening to or reading you're like oh that's pretty cool and you take that piece of knowledge like a puzzle piece and you try to fit it in with what you already know like that's just what we all do as humans okay you and try if it to doesn't fit, it in, fit then you get the hammer <laughs> then you get the hammer and try to force it into place but the thing is is and part of the times you don't even realize that you're doing this like because it just happens it's again one of the brain's ways of protecting itself but if we get this piece of knowledge that is new that doesn't really fit with what we already know or what our experience has told us thus far a lot of times we just disregard it and we just do so unconsciously subconsciously like we just get rid of that information like we never heard it before like how many times in the past have you heard something and like some for some reason it'll just like strike you and like I mean I've done this with you I do this with my mother like and you know people will be like oh my gosh Angie I just heard the craziest thing the other day you know right yes I mean and and then you tell them I just heard this right and then you tell them what it is or they tell you and you're like I've been saying that for the last five years, you know, or so, you know, that's, that's what you're thinking, like, right? Because all of a sudden you've been talking to them about this topic and they haven't heard it from you. Yeah. I heard this on the radio. I think you had this conversation with your mom the other day. Like, <laughs> I, I just heard this on the radio or I just saw this on Facebook and you were like, mom, I was talking to you with, about that at dinner yesterday. <laughs> But she disregarded it. Apparently, like, she just ignored me. I thought that she was listening. But sometimes, you know, it seems like someone's listening, but they're really not listening to you or they're at least not absorbing that information. I mean, to be fair, I believe that dinner with your mom the night before had, like, 60 people in her house. (laughs) 60 people. (laughs) That was when all of the cousins were here to visit over over Christmas break. But it's just one of the things that our brain does. Like, we just disregard right so that's why we say you know that's why we said at the beginning of this episode in order for you to truly learn something new you have to get rid of what you already know because a lot of times these new pieces don't just nicely fit into our current puzzle like we have to start thinking about things the world whatever it might be so let's say in this for you know for instance in this um, example let's talk about running you know 
maybe that you're you start working with a new coach and this coach does things a little bit differently this coach is making you do more speed workouts or focus on taking more recovery and rest days and you know you're just not used to that and you're like well that doesn't work for me you know and you, you try to fit it in and oh well you know back when I t- took too many rest days then I just got out of my running habit and I didn't succeed and then I got hurt and blah 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 blah, blah. like you try to fit it back into your experience when you might need to just open yourself up to this new way of doing something Right. I, I like to think of, of sort of the, the new way of looking at something of like trying to learn a language that has no basis in yours. Mm-hmm. So um, at the school I, I teach at, we have some exchange students and the one speaks Russian. Okay. Russian and English don't have any connection no, to each other. No, those are totally different. Like, they don't match. Even um, though English is considered a Germanic language. And then I've also got... With, so there's a few random connections that you can pull up, but then I also have a kid... Te- but who's, Russian probably isn't Germanic, though, right? No, and then I've it's also got a hard. guy who speaks Vietnamese. Mm. Those don't link. No. So if I'm trying to learn Vietnamese... I cannot use any of my skills in English mm-hmm. to learn this. And so I keep trying to, like, they've tried to explain it to me of he he took what I was trying to teach him and then translated it in Google Translator into Vietnamese. And I'm like, okay, so how does it how does it match? And I'm trying to go, like, word for word, and that's not how it works. Right. Like, that's not how his language speaks. It doesn't have the same structure. It doesn't have the same format. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the letters don't even look like my letters. So I'm trying to apply this structure of the English language to something that has nothing to do with the English language. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he just looks at me, and thankfully he's fluent both and he looks at me he goes that's that's just not how it works Mm. (laughs) and he was very polite about it like he kind of said it quite like i don't want to be disrespectful but that's that's not how vietnamese works right exactly (laughs) so in order to learn something radically new like a different language you have to disregard like you we try to somehow fit that in with english right because that's what you know but it's just a totally different thing so you have to get rid of what you already know about the english language if you truly want to learn vietnamese or russian or whatever it is right because it's coming from a completely different perspective you've got to completely disregard the old perspective right if you know, we highlight this as forget what you know, but a big thing about it is if you're going to change something, it's it's forgetting what you know, but it's looking at where you are from a totally different angle mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I've always looked through these lenses. Now I need to look through these lenses and it's a totally different angle. It's like, oh, I didn't need to twist the puzzle piece. Look, it works. I just needed to change my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um, but it's also, you know, one of the things that's, I think, why we have so much pushback is because change just feels like when you force change, like when you are forced to look at something through a different lens, that just feels totally awkward and uncomfortable because it's not what we're used to, right? right? And so that pushback that you feel, that desire to resist and stop, that is self preservation. That is our brain saying, whoa, 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 like this doesn't fit with our current structure. Let's retreat back into our safe zone here because our safe zone we know it we don't have to waste too much energy we've got habits we've got systems we've got neural processes and pathways already built and we're good here you know we I'm don't have brush to, my teeth with my right hand i'm going to brush my teeth with my right hand exactly you know and so when you are trying to 
build these new neural pathways. Like your brain has these pathways and highways, right? These are the neural pathways. And when you're trying to learn something new, you're literally building new pathways in your brain between neurons, which are your brain cells. And those brain cells then control your actions. Like say, you know, with Vietnamese, for example, you're going to have to make different sounds that aren't even in English. Yes. Like your brain's going to need to teach or like somehow figure out how to make those sounds and create that sound coming out of your mouth and your voice box. And that's not something that you've ever done before. Right. So when you're trying to make these new connections from like point A to point B inside of your brain, Mm -hmm. where point A and B are like neurons, at first it's an overgrown, beaten down trail. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make that connection. And it's like, oh, I really got to like hack through all these overgrown branches. That takes a lot of energy. And then you do it again and it's a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then you do it again and it's a little bit better. And eventually you've you've worn down a trail there. And you do it enough times and you've actually created a paved path Mm -hmm. inside your brain. And now it's a habit. Now it's an easy to go to routine. But when your brain's trying to decide, do I want to go down path A or path B? And path A is this worn down, nice paved road that you've created already over the last many, many years. Mm -hmm. And path B is, uh, there may be a trail, but you can hardly see it because it's overgrown (laughs) so much. One of them is a lot harder and one of them is a lot more uncomfortable and feels a lot more awkward to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, So let's go through some examples of this, like some examples that specifically pertain to running. Okay. So um, this one, I I fell victim to this one a a couple years ago. I think everybody falls victim to this one at some point in time. You know, they think that um, if I don't start a running streak and just hit it every single day, then I'm just not going to be able to stick to the plan at all. Right. Like I can't miss a day. If I miss a day, I will fall off and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have this huge pushback against any rest day. Yeah. And that's that's ultimately dangerous. Right. Like you can't run just because you've told yourself you have to run or you'll fall off the track. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I have to get it today. Otherwise, I'll never get back on. Right. Then you won't take a rest day when you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I've definitely fallen victim to this as well for the sake of streaks. Like we've had these challenges in some of my running groups that like, you know, oh, it's a mile a day or it's a burpee challenge or all these things. Right. And you have to get it in if you want to be a part of the challenge. But you know, I can understand the the good from that because totally. some people do need that accountability and consistency in order to create a habit. But you do also need to understand that sometimes your body does need a rest day. Sometimes you're exhausted and it's better for you to go to bed because the, like there were, there have been days that I've you know decided to do these streaks or these challenges and my, I have been so busy all day long that literally it's nine o'clock nine thirty at night and I'm like oh I still didn't do it and there was one time I like went outside and I, I ran a mile when it was late at night which wasn't a safe idea and just to get it in like that didn't benefit me in any way I think it was raining too it was raining too <laughs> and I had I had already drank like a glass or two of wine too <laughs> so you know that was not the best run ever but I just had to do it because it was part of the streak which was just silly yeah no that's why like streaks are cool but they don't usually serve a great physical benefit because you end up getting so tied to this streak that the streak becomes part of your identity and you feel that you must keep doing it 
even against you know good recommendation and then if you miss a day then you feel like a failure and that's no good either right you're literally setting yourself up for eventually feeling like a failure because that streak has to stop at some point it does and like i mean what was when you had your running streak what was it two years ago a couple years ago was that was that before your seizures yes okay like you got to a point where you were at like 180 170 days like yeah, you I was were... I was over I was like six months in I think yeah. I, I think I had a streak going to the Space Coast Marathon yeah and you were just like you know what like when is this gonna stop like it's gotta stop at some point so I think I stopped it the day after the Space Coast Marathon yeah I don't think that I stopped it beforehand I think that I was like tied to it and then yeah I went a little more okay maybe I need to fit in some recovery days maybe I need to actually listen to my body between Space Coast and the Fort Lauderdale Marathon I totally forgot about that running streak until right now yeah like as a lead up to your two marathons and seizure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Running streak. Running streak. Running streak and four to five hours of sleep a night. It's a yeah. bad combo. It's a bad combo. Um, you know, and we're not saying that you should never do a running streak. They can be fun sometimes, but just understand that like they aren't necessary for you to establish a consistent habit. And for you to like tie yourself and your self-worth to something like that is not a good idea. The streaks that you have are kind of cool because it's like, it's a streak for January. Yeah. It's like a 30 day challenge. And so there's a finish line on it. It's Mm -hmm. not an infinite streak. And, but still, you know, if you, if you miss a day in the middle of it, because you're out with friends or you're up late with family, your kid has a birthday party, like something that throws you off and you miss a day, that doesn't ruin you. But if you think that running streaks are your key to success, then if you get, you know, if you come upon a, a workout plan that says, okay, you need a rest day a week or two rest days a week, heaven mm-hmm. forbid, like, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a lot of pushback against that because you, you think before you even try the plan that that's going to be unsuccessful because mm-hmm. that doesn't work for you. Right. Exactly. Um, another example would be like, if, if I don't believe that I can break a certain time for a race, then most likely I am going to push back against the speed work or the training plan that's required for me to hit that race time right because you know if if you really don't truly believe that it's possible you're just not going to put in the work you're going to make excuses you're going to say oh you're going to look at those speed work workouts and be like i can't hit those paces and then you're not really going to try like if you go into a workout or a race and you're like i don't think i can hit these like you know some people do well with that right some people look at something that someone says they are going to have a hard time doing and that makes them rise to the challenge yes if someone else tells them they'll have a hard time doing it true if they've told themselves that it's going to be really hard like you should know going into races that it's difficult but you shouldn't go into a race thinking that you're not going to succeed at it yeah there's a there's a subtle difference there yeah yeah i agree and so you know if you're already telling yourself that then your your brain is going to push back against the work that's required to get there. Right. I mean, we've done this with all sorts of kids in, in cross country and track. And yeah. it's like, okay, you want to eventually run, I don't know, say a six minute mile, a five minute mile. Well, if you're going to do that, then when you do 200 meter repeats, they need to be at this speed. Yeah. And the kid's like, wait, I don't think I can do 28 second, 200 meter repeats. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's where we need to start yeah. because if you can't hit those, we're not going to be able to build it back and break five in a mile. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, oh, okay, so I've got to do that. Mm-hmm. And But if you don't ever think that you can you can get there, you'll push back really hard against the speed work. And then it turns out that it's just the self-fulfilling thing because mm-hmm. you didn't do the speed work and then, then you didn't get the results. Exactly. Um, so another good example would be 
if, if I believe that working harder at what I'm currently doing is going to yield better results, then I'm probably just going to keep working harder, which a lot of times leads to burnout, right? So if you believe that working harder is the way to success, like work hard, play hard, like there's a lot of people that have that motto and mentality, right? You believe that hard work is the absolute key to your success, then you're probably not going to want to take easy days and you're probably not going to go as easy as you should on those easy days or you probably aren't going to take those rest days even if your body and your mind are telling it to because you're going to see that as a sign of weakness. You're going to say, you know what? I can't take a rest right now. I've got to work harder. This means I have to work even harder. Like I'm not hitting the times that I want to hit. I'm not seeing the results that I want to hit. So that means that I need to keep pushing harder. Right. You And I'm just going to keep doing the same thing mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it harder. I'm going to do more of the exact same thing. I actually went off on my uh, freshman biology class on this topic today. Oh yeah. I'm like, all right, it's the second semester. Some of you got grades in the first semester that you weren't really happy with. We just finished our first quiz and those grades are posted. And some of you might not be super happy with those grades. Let me ask you something. Did you study for the first quiz the same way you studied for all of your tests in the first (laughs) semester? And they all kind of like nodded at me and I'm like, okay, but, but you didn't do well in the first semester. So why are you doing the exact same thing? And they just kind of paused, just like shocked. I'm like, hold on. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't do the exact same thing. Did you try to do the same thing, but more of it? And I got like a couple kids just quietly nodding their head. I'm like, (laughs) oh, that's going to get you the same results also. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's going to turn your 40% into a 42. Right. Like it's not going to change anything. Well, especially if you haven't seen the success. Like if you've got a glimpse of success, that might be a little bit of a different story, right? Like if you've achieved some success, then doing the same thing, you might get a little bit more success. I don't, you know not necessarily talking about running here because obviously there's only a certain point where you can keep increasing your mileage or keep increasing your speed work or, you know, before the body starts to break down, you can't just constantly be adding, 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 you know, you have to have the balance and the easy days and the rest days and all of that. You can't just keep pushing harder and harder. You go back to exercise coaches like 80 years ago. They're pretty confident that you can when like the elites were running 200 plus mile weeks. Mm-hmm. And what happened They to were pretty confident that the answer was just keep running more. Right. And then science moved a little bit farther ahead and said, actually, if you tailored down and some of that running is at these specific paces, then you can get rest days and the body actually builds back from it. And then it kind of swung and the training moved back towards a lower mileage. And then more science came and pushed it towards the other way and it went back towards a higher mileage. It's this constant pendulum at the, at the higher level of like super high mileage or moderate mileage or super high mileage. It just swings all the way back and forth. Right. And I think that's why a lot of elites end up injured too. And I, I've always thought about this and wondered about this because there's elites and they sustain running injuries, right? And they've got the best coaches in the world. They're the best coaches in every therapy possible, but they run every day as close to the edge as they can. Close to the edge right there, right? <laughs> like that's what you always talk about, pushing the envelopes as far as you can without that envelope falling. Yes. Yeah. Yes, which is dangerous. Which is very dangerous, you know, but that's how they feel that they need to train in order to be at that elite level. Right. And I mean, it's an Olympic year, so there's a lot of people that are trying to see just how far they can push it. You know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing out there that says like the body will shut itself down when it still has like 10% reserves left on energy. And so if you're in a marathon, like Olympic level, you know, one of the six world majors marathon Mm. and everybody around you shuts it down when there's 10% left 
and you can somehow manage to tap in and only shut it down when there's 9% left, yeah. you win. Huge advantage right there. Like yeah. you won. But I'm thoroughly convinced that the best marathoners in the world, they are long past 10% left. Mm. But they have already managed to figure out a way to push their body until there's like 6% left. <laughs> like they're already operating on that. They're yeah. working on like 10th of a percent more than the guy next to them. And that's what's able to, to get the gold. And they still make it look so darn easy. <laughs> they look like they're jogging. Right. And then after they finish, they're like not hands on their knees not like you know they're just like oh look look let me go get my flag and take a little victory lap around the adrenaline rush afterwards oh where they wrap themselves and they're jogging around at it's the finish amazing. line I, after i after i won a marathon i was stoked and I, I i actually had my hands up after last week's i was excited but i couldn't walk yeah <laughs> you were limping pretty I literally, badly i could not walk yeah you were limping pretty badly after you crushed the cross the finish line there. All right. What's another good example of this? All right. Well, this is the last one I got written down and this one's a really good one. If I am, this one really applies to you. If I am thoroughly convinced that my personal happiness is tied to a number on a clock hanging over a finish line, then I won't even try to figure out why that number feels so important. Like I'm pretty sure that happiness just is that number. Like whatever that number is, that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. So I don't try and dive into why. Over the years, I've now tried and figured out exactly why breaking an average of six minutes per mile in the marathon means something to me. And I figured out where that number came from. And then I figured out why that was an important thing and mm-hmm. why that, you know, we, I just kept diving. And it took a while and it was... Care to share? It was uncomfortable. Yeah. And well, awkward. it is uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's, again, the brain not wanting to go too deep and figure those things out. Right. It just wants to keep it nice and superficial. Yeah. It, it's, it's like it's like it's this... a number, therefore I'm happy. And the problem was is that I've crossed finish lines yeah. hitting the number that I wanted to hit. And a day later, you're not happy. You're like, oh, I could probably go faster than that. Mm-hmm. It's like the song that our girls have been listening to lately from the Wicked soundtrack. It's called Dancing Through Life. <laughs> so those of you that know the Broadway musical Wicked... This song is, is called Dancing Through Life, and it's all about skimming the surface, keeping everything superficial. If you if you never go too deep, then you'll never be disappointed. Yes. Right? This is perfect. Yeah. So um, that kind of goes along that way. So what, is, what were some of the things you figured out? Do you want to share with us? Like, why I mean, was I'll, six minutes so important? I'll take it a couple levels deep. Okay. Um, so we'll six share minutes. whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, in one of the best long runs I ever had in college, it was like an 18-mile loop. And we were 15 or so miles into it. And the coach was following us around in his Jeep because it was in a warm day in, in Indian, northern Indiana. So it's hot and humid. He would follow us in every like five miles or so. He would drive up ahead and stop and line up cups of water across the back of his Jeep for us to like mm-hmm. just grab a cup of water and then keep on going. Yeah. And so it was the third time that we stopped and we're at 15 miles in and I'm still rolling with like the top guys at this point. Mm-hmm. And coach said something. That in my head, I thought it was directed towards me. And I I took it because of how some of the like top guys on the team did. He said, you guys are on six minute pace for a marathon. That was his line. You're on, you're on pace to hit 236 in a marathon, mm-hmm. you know, six minute pace in a marathon. And as we took off, like, you know, the, the top guy, he goes, <laughs> Ryan grabbed his drink of water, tossed it back toward the Jeep and we take off running and he goes, we race five miles, 6.2 at the end of the year. 
Why is he telling us how fast we're going for 26.2? No one cares how fast we're going for 26.2. It <laughs> just keeps on chugging along like because it didn't mean anything to him. Yeah, but, but it stuck with you. It always stuck with me because at the end of the season, while they were off racing the championship, I was number like 14, 15 on the team. I was home in my dorm by that point. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was not on travel squad. I was walk on and towards the end of the season as it moved into championship, I was cheer squad. And <laughs> so to me, it was like, well... Yeah, I'm not racing as fast as you are. And at some point, I'm going to be done with this collegiate experience and I will probably move on and run a marathon. So thinking that I'm on pace right now that I could break six minutes matters to me. And so then that that like little soundbite stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, so, okay, so, but why does that matter? And then it goes to the part where, well, I couldn't hang with the team in college. Yeah. Like I could only run for so long and then... I, I just, I couldn't, in my mind, I couldn't cut it. And that's what, not exactly what it was. There was a lot of mitigating circumstances. It got a little over-involved between, you know, several things that were hitting simultaneously. But I always looked back on college of like, I, I couldn't hack it. I couldn't make it. So if I could just get back to the part where I was rolling with those guys and I could break six minutes in the mile, then I could show that I, I could do it. Mm. Then it would be enough. Worthiness. And yes. Yeah, it's worthiness. So it all goes back to it all goes like back to that. your feeling of not being worthy on the team. So then you have to then prove later on in your life that you were worthy to be there and that you are still worthy. Yes, because when I was 19, I was rolling and I, I could have held and maybe held on and hit a 236. So now 20 years later, 20-ish years later, I'm mm-hmm. like, if I could just hold on and break six minutes per mile for the marathon. Which you're totally capable of right now. Then I would be worthy enough to be on this team in college. Just so disconnected. But it, it's just the way that our brains work, though. Yes. You know, and that's why so much of these stories that we tell ourselves and these limiting beliefs come from things when we were kids or when we were young adolescents or teenagers or, you know, in high school and college. These, when we were in these younger parts of our lives, because, I mean, your brain is still developing during it's, that whole time. That's why it's, that's why right? they're the formative years because right. you're making these things, these connections that don't seem that important, but years later, mm-hmm. they're still they're still in there. Yeah. They're still changing your life. They're still affecting you daily. Mostly on an unconscious level too. Yes. You know, these 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 stories and these connections that we have made when we're younger they affect us like because they're still in our subconscious. We don't realize it most of the time what is happening, but they are still guiding and directing our thoughts and actions. And that is the craziest thing about all of this um, is, you know, so much of the things that we know from the things that we've learned from both education and books and learning, but also from your experiences in the past guide what you do today without you even realizing it. Right. Which is why in order to actually change, in order to actually move the needle and and head to something and completely overhaul your life, you have to sort of move past that. You have to at least dive into it. Mm -hmm. Like, I had made it to the point a few years ago that I knew why six-minute pace mattered to me, but I didn't go any deeper than that. Yeah, I knew I knew exactly where that connection was. I remember the run. I remember I made it that far, but I never took that one and then said, "Okay, but why does that matter?" Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you start seeing it. That's where it's like, okay, but take that thing and now 
get a different perspective on it. Why is that important? You need to actually change your point of view onto it, which is scary. It is. It is. So that takes us to our next major point, and that is, what if the only thing stopping you from being incredibly successful and happy was you? Oh, that's nice. You're the one that wrote it, so. I know. Well done. Thank you. Um, (laughs) All right, so... This thing, I took a while trying to word the the next part. So I'm just going to read this because I I wrote and rewrote this thing. So we are all simultaneously battling two thoughts. One, the grass is greener on the other side of the hill. And, or wait, maybe not. Maybe it's just a giant pile of thorn bushes. Oh, that's good. It's both. Like we have this fear that we're missing out on something better, Mm -hmm. but also a fear that if we go from where we are to a different place, that it won't be as good. Mm -hmm. So it's simultaneously grass is greener, but also fear of unknown. Yeah. And that the ground will just fall out from underneath us. I know. I was going to, I tried to be like the grass is greener on the other side of that hill, or it's possible that it's just a cliff and I drop off. Yeah. Or that there's a trap door on your way there. Or like when we drive down the highway here and there's that one bend in the road where it's like all the drivers seem to slam on their brakes as though the highway is going to disappear on the other side of that rise. It doesn't disappear. Highway's still there. Keep your foot on the gas pedal. Yeah, or like when it starts to rain, you're like, oh no, what is this water falling from the sky? Slam on your brakes. I must start driving at 30 and flip on my hazards. This is Florida, people. It rains a lot here. Get used to it. Uh, driving with hazards that drives me crazy and it's illegal so don't do that if you're one of those people stop doing it but but this is the thought is if if you are not sure of what else is out there then change is scary it might be better it might be worse Mm -hmm. and this i kind of like to relate to a roller coaster okay and i love roller coasters i think they are super exciting i do not like roller coasters. you do not like roller coasters no i used to enjoy roller coasters with big giant hills and turns all over the place but i hated going upside down terrified me really yeah so we would go to the amusement park my family of four and my dad would go on the roller coasters with my sister because he liked going on the the roller coasters that went upside down and my mom would stay with me and we'd go on the the, like the smaller roller coaster right next to it Mm mm-hmm and then we could all go on the roller coasters that just went up and down because I could totally handle big hills, but I couldn't go upside down. Okay. Until I met the mechanical engineer who designed roller coasters. Mm-hmm. And he very bluntly said, yeah, you have to put the, the you know, the thing harness. that goes, the harness that goes over the top of you. He goes, watch people on a roller coaster. They are white knuckle gripping that thing as though somehow they need to hold on to it for their security. We design it so you don't have to hold anything. You're not going anywhere. You're as safe as you could possibly be strapped in there. That's why the harness is so big. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I was just like, oh, they're not scary. They're super exciting because I'm incredibly safe inside of this thing. So catch me on any roller coaster, hands up the entire time. Oh, yeah. You're always with your hands up. Like, it boggles my mind. Because there's no reason to be scared. You're as safe as you can possibly be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're not going to design roller coasters that require your own, you know, strength to hold yourself into the the carriage. Yeah, it's a good thing that I have the physique of the rock. But but heaven forbid that eight 
eight-year-old that just barely made the height cutoff, that kid better grip tight. Yeah. No, it's not designed for that kid to hold themselves in, otherwise they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. The roller coaster has the safety built in. Yeah. So if you picture your life as you're already safe, like you're good, then it gives you the freedom to to try the roller coaster. Ooh, I love that. If you picture your life like you're already safe, then it gives you the wings to fly essentially. Right, cuz you're you can't crash. Mm -hmm. You're safe. There there's not a hill in fact at all. It's not what's on the other side of the hill. It's just this path. Mm -hmm. It's a path that just keeps going and you're on the path and you just keep taking the path and the path is safe. Sometimes it's it's difficult, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's a safe path. Mm -hmm. It's not accidentally going to fall off and drop you into thorn bushes. But you don't know that it's safe. <laughs> There's no guarantee that it's safe because, I mean, heck, it might not be, right? I mean, there there are chance there's a chance that you could get hurt along the way. Like this is this goes with running. This goes with um, opening yourself up to like a new relationship, a new yeah. friendship, right? Yeah. And and this is another time that people have a hard time opening themselves up, right? Because when you open yourself and you share your emotions and yourself with someone else, you have to trust that that person is going to hold a good space for you. And not stomp on your emotions. Yes. And that's scary. And it can happen. And for most of us that are adults, that's probably happened at some point in time in our lives. You know, whether it's a friend, a significant other, you know, at some point in time, there's been someone that's probably not treated our heart with the utmost respect that it deserves. Yes. And so then you're going to tie into that one and say, okay, well, I can't open up to anybody because it's scary mm -hmm. because I'm going to get hurt. Right. And that goes back to trying to fit in this new piece with your old puzzle, right? Because you're like, well, I've did this in the past and this is what happened. So that means I can't do this again. And that's one of the things that holds a ton of people back, not only in their regular life, but also in their running. Okay. So how do you connect it in that you are in fact safe? Because that's painful. Yeah. Like, you know, we've all experienced that part where our feelings, our, our heart got mm -hmm. crushed. But if you give it enough space, mm -hmm. can you actually look back on that and try and, and look at it from an outside perspective and mm -hmm. say, that helped me grow into the person that I am right now? Right. You have to remove yourself from the situation and look at it from an outside point of view. Like this is one of the things, like one of my favorite authors is Brene Brown, and she talks about being in the arena, right? Be, we need to be a gladiator in the arena and of, of life, right? And that there are times that we are going to get knocked down and we have to get back up and there are times that we are going to get spit on or you know hurt or you know things are going to happen to us but it's our job as gladiators to just keep picking ourselves back up again right because eventually we we will succeed if we keep doing that and that if we don't allow ourselves to keep going, then we also miss out on some of the most amazing things in our life. So if you did continue with that idea of, of my heart's going to get stomped on, then you wouldn't have the possibility to open yourself up to a new friendship, a new relationship, whatever it might be, right? And then you would miss out on the joy that that could bring to your life. Right. I want to give a quote from the movie Gladiator, but all I've got is get back up again, the song from the movie Trolls. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure different. that I'm a girl dad at this <laughs> point. Pretty, pretty sure we're a girl dad here. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's, it's, I don't really think it's necessarily about safety because I feel like 
life you can't necessarily guarantee safety in life and that's not really the point well okay so not safety but long-term success like nothing's gonna crush you so badly that you can't get back up and keep going yes like your success is inevitable yeah your success is guaranteed that that i can totally agree with you're gonna make it to the end of the roller coaster Mm -hmm. ride and not get thrown out yes yes you will and it, it might be really scary along the way and there might be a time where you vomit because you just had like cotton candy and then and that hill was a little too steep for you that was and a poor you, choice you end up losing your lunch over it but but yeah at, at the end you're you're doing okay all right and i think we've ground that metaphor as far as that it can possibly yeah, go i don't know why we're still talking about roller coasters all right so let's go back to running let's go back to brushing your teeth <laughs> Left-handed or right-handed? All right, so if you want to change how you're running and how you're living, you have to change your perspective because some of the new things that you're learning, some of the new things, like if you really want to improve on something, you might have to start doing things totally different, which requires a new perspective. Completely different. And you have to be willing to say that I was successful with this previous path And I'm still going to try a different path. Mm -hmm. Like I overhauled my training, not just like mentally, which was like the biggest overhaul. And that was phenomenal. Like that's been like the most life-changing thing. But I overhauled the actual like how I laid out my last four months leading up to the last marathon. And I was successful with the one before it. And I thought, hey, I'm going to try this method and see if this one works also. And I think they both work really well for me. So I'm not really sure what I'm going for on the next one, but... Even though you ran your worst time in this race, you can still say that you think that both of the training plans worked well for you? Yes. Yes. I think that, I think this one worked at least as well and that the finishing time was mainly due to the fact that I held on at around like 535 pace for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. Like I think that I would have, I think I could have almost comfortably PR'd in this race mm-hmm. if I took it out around six minute pace. Mm-hmm. I think that I could have just rolled with that or for a long like period. Or even like 5.50. Yeah. Like that would be like 15 seconds per mile. Faster you know. than my current PR. Well, <laughs> and, and, and slower than what you <laughs> than actually did. what I was did. going at. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. I could have found a middle ground. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a middle ground. You never know. But I think that, you know, sometimes when we change that perspective, maybe it's not the other side of the hill that we're looking for, but it's just further along our path. Right. Or maybe it's a totally different path. Right. But it, it, I mean, there's only one path. Like we all have a path that we're leading through life. There's forks in the road and you have to make a choice between, you know, path A and path B. And sometimes you can choose the, the normal path, the path that you've been choosing. You just keep going down that. But every once in a while there's branches off to the side and you're like, huh, what happens if I go down that path? I know what happens. I, I've seen the steps down the path that I've been on and I can look down this path and I can see that I'm going to hit the same, same points again, probably maybe slight improvement if I just keep going down this nice smooth path. What if I change it? What's behind what looks like a dark forest? Mm. Is there a giant castle on the other side? Because mm. there could be. There could be. I like I like all these fairy tale metaphors we're using also. Um, mer- metaphors everywhere. Yeah, frozen. We are girl moms. Our girl mom and dad, girl moms. Um but yeah, it's it's the it's the line also what got you here won't get you there. Right. Right? Like you can't necessarily do things the same exact way that got you to where you are right now and if you continue doing them the same way, you can't 
expect that you'll continue to improve. Right. Yeah. You, you're going to eventually come to the plateau and then you, then you are either stuck on the plateau or forced to change. So mm-hmm. find the spot to change, but you also have to accept that that path is taking you where you need it to go. Mm. Okay. Like and that. this one was tough for me. Okay. And it applies to you listening right now. Look, you're listening to this episode right now because you need the lesson that we're giving you. Right. And there's probably chunks of this thing that you're not even hearing because mm-hmm. we've talked about that before. We yep. talked about that, you know, a few minutes ago. You may have missed that part. Yeah. Um, because let's talk about active listening right there. You know, like sometimes you hear something and it triggers a thought in you and then you start going off that path. I mean, I've done that a ton of times. Like you start thinking about how this applies to you or your life or your running or your business, whatever it might be. And then you miss out on the next like two minutes of whatever you're listening to. Yeah, exactly. It happens all the time with podcasts that I'm listening to. Come back to us. (laughs) Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Still talking over here. Um, You know, I watch, I watch it happen inside the classroom. I watch it happen with the kids when we're talking to them at practice. Mm -hmm. I've done it myself, but you're getting the lessons that you need to get out of this one. Right. Even if you missed one of the ones along the way, you're getting what you need to. That's because the path is taking you where you need it to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I, did end up PRing in my last race and that I I feel like that helped to validate my training and my path because a lot of of time in the past like I did question my ability as a runner or um you know the fact that I was a real runner and, and that kind of thing so I feel like the last couple of years for me have really set me up to really validate what I've been doing right and like it's almost like you needed to keep knocking off PR after PR and and you've done it. Like you've had two back-to-back years of just nonstop PRs, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal and so supportive of this is a good training method for you. Yeah. I, on the other hand, have not PR'd in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I clearly missed my PR in the last marathon and you were like, it's almost like you needed to miss it to prove that you didn't need to hit it to yeah. be happy. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's right. I think that I per, I really couldn't hit the PR in that race because I needed to make sure that I had completely disconnected my personal value from the clock at the finish line. Yeah. That race was about so much more than the clock at the finish line. That race was about the finish line. That race was about the prep going into getting to the finish line. Like that's what that race was about and that's what led to the happiness. So I yeah. needed that. And all the all the stuff that we've been preaching on the podcast too. Yes. Like, you know, that was basically the universe telling you like, okay, like you you keep saying this you keep telling people to disconnect and that your self-worth is not based on what's on the clock and all of this and it's like okay here you go (laughs) how do you feel now here buddy you you didn't even break 240 and i'm like (laughs) and i'm and i'm grinning i mean if you catch the picture at the finish line it's not like a super happy grin because there's a lot of pain involved a bit of a grimace a bit of a grimace but but inside my heart was smiling (laughs) my face not necessarily but my heart truly was smiling there you go (laughs) All right, let's let's start to wrap this up here. So what do we have left? All right, so um, if you are totally confident that you are in a place right now that is as happy as you could possibly get, way to go. Congratulations, you win. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if, do you? if you're listening to this and you think that there is a chance for more, for more in, in any area of your life, for more happiness, for more satisfaction, for more joy, for more gratitude, for more of any of the positive emotions 
then you have to be fully opening to finding that, mm-hmm. to getting there, to accepting it, and to doing what it takes to get there. And it's quite possible that what you're doing now is never going to get you there, and you have to accept that, which is the toughest part. Ooh, that's a, that's really going up above and beyond right there. But at the same time, you have to take the risk. You have to take that leap because I don't know how many of us can truly say like, I am 100% completely satisfied with every single aspect of my life or my running. Like you can be satisfied with it right now. But as runners, I feel like we are just naturally driven to keep improving and to try to keep seeing what we're worth whether it's can we run longer can we get faster can we go further like there there's always that drive for more i mean i think it's it's one of the core values of real life runners is i am a hundred percent i think it is a hundred percent satisfied with where i am yeah and not only am i satisfied but i know i have more yeah it's true because because you can do both. Like you can be completely happy and satisfied right now, but still want more. But still know that you can be happier. Right. Like I am happy, but I can be happier. Happier, like or just uh, continuing more. down. There's yeah. There's more. just there's more for you to do. There's more for you to accomplish. There's more success for you because the world is filled with infinite possibilities, and you are an infinite possibility. Like your life has infinite possibilities and is an infinite possibility. Right. So take the leap because it's not really that much of a risk if you fully believe that you will be successful. Yes. So take the leap because it's not landing in thorn bushes. It it may fall through some thorn bushes, but there's success coming. It might be awkward. It might be a little bit uncomfortable on the path, but the success is coming. So take the leap because it's not a risk. Yeah. As soon as you fully accept that success is going to be there, it removes the risk from it. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to white knuckle the roller coaster. The success is going to be there. Yeah. And usually when you have that feeling of what we like to call fear, right? Because whatever that feeling that you have inside you're just putting a label on it you're you're telling yourself that that's fear and then you're saying oh i'm feeling i'm feeling very uneasy i'm feeling fearful about this maybe that means i shouldn't do that you can just put a new label on it like there there's no actual label that comes with those emotions and those feelings that you have you can choose to make that whatever you want so instead of saying that's fear choose to say that's excitement i tell our our cross-country girls this all the time like tell yourself a different story like that i'm not nervous i'm excited because guess what it's the same hormone that's being released in your body it's both adrenaline like when you're fearful and when you're excited that's just adrenaline so it's your own interpretation of the situation at hand that then makes you put a label on whatever that feeling is but it's only adrenaline okay so and a lot of times that feeling is usually evidence that you're moving in the right direction. Oh, it's almost always evidence that you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Okay, so take the fear away, call it excitement, and then know that that excitement means that this is going well. This is going the way it's supposed to go. Exactly. And that perfectly leads us into our runner of the week. Oh, it really does. It's a nice one here. Yeah, because this runner of the week really personifies this idea of belief and once she changed her beliefs about herself, it is incredible what she and has been able to do. The walls came crumbling oh down. Oh my gosh, it's been so crazy to see. So 
Um, this person just started running a few years ago. Like people always thought she was a runner because of the way that she's built, but she never ran. And she likes to tell people that she started off when, you know, when she started running like a year or two ago, she started off running like 13 minute miles and then just kept running and kept running. And now she's been able to knock off, like she knocked off her first marathon in November. And then she just recently crushed the Jacksonville half marathon and ran a 142. So she went from running 13-minute miles to running, I don't know what pace that is, but it's sub-8. I was going to say you it's know, right around 8. Well, 8-minute pace is 145. Yeah. So, you know, going into into the sevens for a half marathon and completely crushing it. And so much of that was just because she shifted her perspective. She shifted and started to actually believe that she was a faster runner because people started telling her that. And so then she actually started to believe it and, and then challenge herself appropriately. And it turns out that the belief said, hey, yeah. I can do that. Well, because then once she started believing, then she started putting in the work. You know, it's not that you can just believe yourself to, you know, become a faster runner, but that belief allows you to then put in the work that's necessary to get you to uh, that The point. belief spurred the action. Yes. And it led to crushing, crushing her half marathon PR. And then she was back out there screaming as I hobbled in towards I the know, finish line, which was awesome. It was awesome. So this week we would love to honor... Brum. Heather Lacey, you are our runner of the week. We are so happy that you have taken so much of the the mindset and the beliefs to heart, and it has just improved your running in ways that are, are so inspiring to watch. So thank you for sharing your journey with us. When we contacted Heather, this is what she had to say. Wow, I'm honored. Listening to podcasts and watching videos from Angie and Kevin with Real Life Runners has directly influenced my running life. I have been able to easily apply the guidance and tips they provide and love the ability to interact online and get quick responses. Angie and Kevin's encouragement to grow into my own potential with running and speed work has spilled over into my personal life and impacted me in many other ways that were unexpected. Thank you for the honor of Runner of the Week. Yeah, Heather. Um, that is so cool and so awesome. And that is just one of the reasons that we do what we do. So thank you for sharing your journey with us. And thank you for inspiring so many people um, by, you know, through your story. And if you are ready to level up your running and see what you're actually capable of, we have great news. And that is that our Real Life Runners Training Academy is currently open for enrollment this week only. This week only. And we got a website for you. <laughs> We've got, go to yourrunningplan.com to check out more information. But basically, we take all the guesswork out for you. We take all of it and simplify it for you so that you will get all of the training that you need about strength training, mindset, speed work, pacing, effort levels, all the things that you need to know totally laid out for you in a step-by-step fashion. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to figure out what your runs are going to be. We plan Your training plan will include your running workouts, your strength training workouts, your mobility workouts, all the things that you need to become a better runner and Guess what? You don't have to figure it out on your own. Right, you're you're in charge because you fill out this this plan that says, "Hey, this is this is who I am as a runner." It's the um, choose your own adventure running plan, and so you've got the input, and then from there, the plan is created for you, and then you can follow it step by step. So you are taking charge of your running, and then taking the guidance that we're helping to provide, and using that combination to take charge of your running 
and take charge of your life. Right. So then all that's left for you to do is actually just put in the work because we have it all laid out. We have it step by step. You don't have to figure anything out. We are here to help you, to answer your questions, to guide you along the way so that all you have to do are take the steps and reap the benefits. So check out yourrunningplan.com for more information. The program is closing on Saturday, so hopefully you are listening to this episode before that. If not, you can go to that website, yourrunningplan.com, and get on the waiting list for when we open the program up again um, in the future. So thank you guys, as always, for joining us today. We appreciate you spending this time with us. Please share us with your friends. And be sure to subscribe so that you get all future episodes. This has been the Real Life Runners Podcast, episode number 123. Now get out there and run your life.